welcome to episode 192 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined just by Ryan this week. Paul is, of course, as we mentioned last week, dealing with a lot of moving this month. So just the two of us uh, today, this week. So how are you holding up, Ryan? Staying staying cool? It's been a hot one still. Yeah, it's been been pretty warm this week. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, the the summer is here and... It is time to uh, to let my now non-existent hair down. So have some fun. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, no, it, it definitely no hair uh, on my end, but still, uh, yeah, I tried to get out and do some fun things this weekend. But dude, it's still way too hot for me. So uh, not didn't go too well. I guess uh, if there's a, a positive, you don't have to like mow the lawn or anything because it's pretty much brown everywhere I look. So there so you go. I just mowed the lawn this afternoon we we did the uh the stupid thing of putting in some sod uh to a spot that had emptied because of there had been a tree there before so we put sod down and so we have to water it like crazy which means that area of the lawn is getting a lot of water and so it's growing and i'm not exactly sure how to handle mowing sod that's still like in the process of taking so gonna have to ask uh, gardener google on that one to see what's yeah the proper protocol is there you go give him a question support the podcast hey by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate two bucks a month gets you that question priority here on the podcast for five bucks a month you get the minor league extra podcast with ryan and james anderson and they just released a new episode in the last week so you'll want to check that out lots of questions about a certain player that we actually have a question about later aaron ashby so we'll, we'll touch on that this week but they go in real in-depth on, on him and him getting uh, kind of bumped up and, and maybe plans changing or at least going on the Corbin Burns path. I think that's probably what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit later. Uh, you also get some reporting as eligible uh, Packers mini pods from Paul throughout the offseason as well as at that $5 patron level. Uh, but speaking of the Brewers, they're still probably one of the hottest, if not the hottest team in the league right now, right? They swept the Pirates again. Uh, I should say another sweep over the weekend. So they swept the Diamondbacks at home last week, sweep the Pirates at home this week. So uh, running their kind of hot streak here up to 13 out of their last 15. And I forget what it is. It goes even back further than that. But man, do you remember like a month ago we were sitting here talking about just how bad the Brewers were struggling and how unwatchable they were and nobody was having a good time. And now <laughs> they're probably one of the better teams in the national league now. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. What do you think of that turnaround? Yeah. I think that it was inevitable. That the offense was going to get going. We still haven't seen probably all the regression we're going to see from the pitching, at least at the top end, like Brandon Woodruff, almost certainly isn't going to continue to be this good. We've seen Corbin Burns come back to earth a little bit, though. Honestly, that start on Saturday was the hardest hit balls off of Burns that entire stupid game were outs. Like they would they would drive one to like center field and it would be an out. And then the hits they were getting on what they blew two down behind the first base. And they had a couple of seeing eye grounders and then there were a couple walks in there. Like really that's all it was. And that's how he got to his, his what four runs that he allowed. It's kind of ridiculous that he really did not deserve to have given up that many runs, but you're going to have that over the course of a season. And if anybody was due for some bad luck, it was Corbin Burns because things have gone so well for him 
for right. this year. So really the the hitting has has come along and what we're seeing now they are just taking tons and tons and tons of walks. And that was yeah. something we didn't see early in the season from them. Right. And now it's it seems to really be shining through and I think it's probably related to the fact that they're also now hitting for power. We're seeing them right. actually slug and once pitchers start to see that the team is capable of hurting them, they're going to be a little bit more uh, cautious with the with the batters, though. I don't know that that explains all of it, because frankly, like Christian Yelich is a walk machine this year and he has done hardly anything. He has three home runs to this point. He's yeah. done hardly anything to give off the idea that he's he's particularly dangerous. And I still don't think his slugging is past his uh has passed his on base percentage, which is definitely not something you expect. So it's, it's a strange situation, right? Like I I don't know quite why pitchers are being so careful to him. They still obviously respect that he can do damage to them, but we haven't really seen him do that yet. So maybe that will change. I, I don't know. I think we are seeing some changes or some, some of that start to change at least in the last few days. And granted it was against the pirates, but you know, on Sunday we saw him, you know, pretty much crush that hanging breaking pitch for a sack fly. Uh, didn't miss it down the middle. Uh, he had a few doubles. Uh, was it two or three doubles on uh, Saturday? You know, he, he's starting to hit some doubles power and he's hitting the ball hard. It's just not sailing over the fence quite yet, to your point. But mm-hmm. I, I do think it's encouraging that he's at least missing fewer of those pitches that he had been missing before and is starting to try to punish the the few pitches that he does see right but yeah that i mean you were talking about the walks what was it like 11 walks on friday night including like six alone in the in the seventh inning or something like that they walked in several runs it was just incredible to see and you know just kind of showed i think Maybe a month ago, you didn't really see that because guys might be, you know, trying to to do too much as opposed to just kind of laying off and, and taking what the the pitching's giving you. Yeah, they've they've really been taking advantage of bad pitchers is a lot yeah. of what we're seeing, and that's not always going to happen. In fact, it didn't really happen today for the Brewers on Sunday when they had a pretty tough time with that starter that Pittsburgh threw out there. They weren't getting much off of him, and then as soon as he's out of the game. It was uh, time to get to hitting, and they were able to put a total of five runs on the board and obviously win the game. So, But they, they generally have been taking advantage of, of shoddier pitching, and that's what we were hoping. I, I'm glad that I didn't jinx it by saying this was going to happen when they started playing worse teams, and I, <laughs> I, I maintain my skepticism. So hopefully this will continue for a while. We don't see too many good teams still for the, the foreseeable future. And so we'll we'll see where we end up uh, in a few weeks. But I it is very telling right now. The, the Brewers are on a stretch now where they have one off day before the uh, all star break. Mm-hmm. And navigating that successfully is going to be somewhat tricky. We've seen that they've decided to go to a five or a six man rotation. So yep. they have decided to do that. And I know you have more to come on that in a minute. But. They're going to, over this time, it's going to be sort of critical to you want to rack up as many wins as possible. But there's also just the way this season is such a war of attrition across baseball. 
And there's just so many injuries. If you're a fantasy baseball player, you absolutely know this. Everybody's hurt. It's just injury, <laughs> injury, injury, injury. Yeah. And so really the Brewers are at once trying to just like get through this time period and like somehow scrape their way to the playoffs. And then I think things will be different at that point as far as how you manage the team. But right now, banking wins is important but so is just like surviving the the injury doldrums that they're they're going through mm-hmm. is this where you want to talk about your objection to using josh Hader in all three pirates games uh it <laughs> i mean we can go into it a little bit it's it, it, the thing is it's it's kind of a silly it's kind of a silly thing to gripe about because they're they're winning and right. I don't really have a problem with the idea of using Josh Hader as like a closer closer. That doesn't I know a lot of people get really rankled by that and it doesn't actually really bother me. My objection is in this case where you have a three run lead and you're in this stretch of games where you're not going to get a day off. You have one day off before the All-Star break now Mm -hmm. and you have this this opportunity with being up three and facing the Pirates who are a trash offense that you don't necessarily need to use Josh Hader in this situation, even though technically it is a safe situation, but they decided to, and I'm assuming this isn't just like Pat Murphy being old school or whatever. I, I assume this yeah. was some sort of a plan that was hatched by Chris hook and the front office and Murphy and council. You know, it's not like he is completely out of the picture. He just wasn't physically at the ballpark today. Right. For the game, at least, because he was at his son's graduation. But it's just it's frustrating that in a game where you have a 96 percent chance to win, you're using Josh Hader. And I think we agree now, like it would be really surprising and probably foolish if they were to use him tomorrow on Monday. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that that seems to like take him out of that game. And I think that they would probably like to avoid using him on on Tuesday as well. Right. Yeah. Like you're going to want to rest him and give him a chance to stay healthy and not you don't want to run him into the ground. And this doesn't mean that like the team can't go to a different model or a somewhat adjusted model by the time they, you know, fingers crossed, get to the playoffs. They could and should do that. So I don't really have a problem with that. It's just in this particular case, why are you running him out there when you already have the game so well in hand and I just don't get it. I, I think it's yeah. weird and kind of goes against like what their, their history has been. And I get that they're doing things differently this year in general. And I, like I said, I don't really have a problem with it. It's just in this specific instance, like why are you doing this? Yeah. I mean, we've seen earlier this year too, if hater doesn't feel like he can go a second or third day, he has no problem telling you know, the coaching staff, hey, I'm a no-go today, and they just kind of move on. So I I would assume that using him today for a third day in a row was because he felt good enough and, you know, hadn't really had a ton of high-stress situations to deal with. But, I mean, yeah, you're right. He's definitely probably out of commission for the first Reds game, if not the first two, especially working three days in a row. And he's another guy that just like every other pitcher, you want to try to manage their workload and make sure that they get through the the season without too many innings on their arm too. 
Right. It's all about managing the long-term workload as well. Right. Like you're trying to not overuse guys and leave them in a position for the stretch run if you need to go in the stretch run or really unload them in the playoffs. Right. And that's what you want to set up for. And they are about to embark on so they're they're bringing in who is going to be the sixth starter? I I'm blanking. Eric Lauer. Lauer starting on Monday. Okay, so Lauer is start. So Lauer becomes the sixth starter, I guess. Yeah, with Hauser and and Anderson, and then the big three. Okay, and that's fine. We talked actually on the minor league extra a little bit this week about Zach Godley. I think Zach Godley. I don't know if you've seen his numbers in AAA, but he has been really quite good. Sure. <laughs> I'm just skeptical. I just remember his one atrocious start in the majors this year, so I'm not super enthused but you know these sixth or seventh starters are not going to be as exciting right so no and i mean you're you're talking about 30 innings pitched at triple a which is i i guess it's not it's triple a east now they're not in the the pcl so it's a little bit different that way but um 34 strikeouts and 12 walks and a, a real ground ball machine so yeah i i think that there's something there he's he's giving up less than a uh a 200 batting average there's I think something there as a, a guy that could give them some depth but I also I do think Lauer is not nearly as terrible as people think he is I, I he's fine he's fine he's he's a depth starter is. and there's yeah there's something there where if he could figure out if they could figure out how to avoid the home runs he might actually be pretty good but as long as he's giving up home runs it's always going to be tricky you know you it, it we saw the same thing with Corbin Burns in 2019. You give up a lot of home runs, especially with runners on, and it's going to inflate your numbers well past where they should be. And so you're gonna have to figure something out as far as you know how to how to get the keep the ball in the park, especially this year. That's weird because the ball really isn't yeah super lively. So. <laughs> That that kind of shades my skepticism on him too. If he's giving up the, this many home runs with a ball that's not super incredibly bouncy, it's a little concerning to me. But you know, he has shown pretty good strikeout stuff too. So it's just a matter matter of kind of handling that inconsistency. But that's you know that's a reason why he's a fifth or sixth starter and not mm-hmm. middle of the rotation guy. You know that's to be expected with some of these guys and. You know, as we get through the year, we're going to see a lot more of the Zach Godleys and stuff just soaking up a start. And we're going to have to try to just bite our tongue and deal with it because that's the way this year will work. And that's why it's so important to bank the wins that you have. Right. So and it um, seems like what they want to do, at least in the for the foreseeable future here, and they've been doing it when they've gotten into these long runs without off days as well, is they never want to have a guy start on four days rest. They really want mm -hmm. their starters going on five days rest. Right. So they want they want basically if there's off days, fine, then we don't necessarily need a six starter. But if there isn't off days, then you need to bring in that extra that extra arm and give them some some distance. And that is if you do that consistently over the length of a season, that is going to go at least some of the way towards limiting the innings that they're going to need to do, especially with you know Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta. It's less of an issue, I think, with Woodruff because he's been a little bit higher on the innings before. And last year he, you know, he got to, what, 72 innings. So he has if they really are going to try to stick to this only 100 more thing, he has some some wiggle room. The other guys are going to have less wiggle room to work with. Right. Right. 
yeah, I mean, managing the roster is going to be a big deal, especially as you mentioned, we're in the middle of another 16 day stretch without an off day. And then you have that one off day and then you got to play through until the all-star break. So, you know, it's going to take a lot of roster juggling and the Brewers have had to do even more because the injury problems seem to be cropping up again. You know, you mentioned Ryan, it's not just a Brewers thing. Literally everybody across the league is hurt, but Mm -hmm. you know, right, right now, especially the Brewers are again, dealing with Lorenzo Cain, not expected back anytime soon. Colton Wong tweaked his oblique a second time. No real timetable that I've seen on on that. Tyrone Taylor went on the IL this this week, and then we had Travis Shaw with that like super uncomfortable to watch shoulder injury, which just kind of seemed like a freak accident, but like looked like he kind of Jimmy Nelson his shoulder there. Oh, so that's yeah. I was hoping you were going to say that. That's no, but I mean it, it's like it's the same thing. Yeah, except Jimmy, except Travis Shaw is supposed to be on the bases. Jimmy Nelson, <laughs> but right. I digress. Right, right. So, I mean, they didn't really waste any time putting Shaw on the 60-day IL. Uh, they're saying they may see if he can play in August, maybe, or they're evaluating that. So, it's so like- I think they're, yeah, what they said is they, they're going to try to rehab him and see if he can go and then make the decision once they get to August. I think because the recovery for this sort of injury that timeline would still allow him to basically be rehabbed and ready for camp wherever he happens to go to camp next year with whatever yeah. team that is. It would kind of allow him to do that so that he has some wiggle room here where he can delay the surgery a little bit, see if just rehabbing it will work. And if not, he can ha- still have the surgery and be ready for next year. It really doesn't take at least with this way, he has a chance to play again this year. Whereas if he yeah. had the surgery now, he basically wouldn't play again this year. Yeah, I guess what I was getting at is it, it doesn't look super promising, I guess, for him being back at this point this no. year. So uh, Brewers are going to have to figure something else out at third base. That kind of leads us to our first Patreon question. It comes from Brad Westness. He's asking, assuming Shaw is out for a while, do you think the team makes a move for third baseman? Or do they try to st- string it along with scrubs until Wong is back and then shift Urias over? What's your thought there? Yeah, I think the scrubs approach is likely to be what they do. I, I'm sure they have their ears open. And if an opportunity presents itself, then they could potentially jump on that. But I don't know what exactly that opportunity is. Yeah. I, I don't I mean, think Josh Donaldson is a very likely solution yeah. there. I don't think that's very you know likely to happen. We've talked about that before. So I I don't know exactly who you would get. I think it's they're going to run through and give Jace Peterson a bunch of playing time. And Jace Peterson is doing a good job, at least from getting on base standpoint. On base, Jace. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jace the base. That's giving them something. And then, you know, Urias has really been stinging the ball of late. And I think that that helps his long-term outlook potentially to to see more time at third base he's gonna have to hit more to be able to carry that offensively over there and then you know we'll see daniel robertson out there a bunch and he seems reyes is the world too the pablo reyes is of the world and i was actually having this discussion with a friend yesterday at the game and i said really i think that a big part of what they're gonna look for right now with with these guys on the infield is they're gonna look at run prevention and so that's why you know, Pablo Reyes isn't the best hitter in the world, but he seems to be a pretty slick defender. And 
if they emphasize the run prevention side of things, well, when you have a pitching staff as good as theirs is, that makes a certain amount of sense, right? You can right. They, a run scored and a run prevented, you know, largely works out to be the same thing. So if you can if you can keep the defense tight and really shut down other offenses and then get, you know, your big hitters, the big guys, if Yelich and Garcia and I guess continue to be like Urias and Narvaez. Narvaez, yeah. Yeah, like if those guys can be impactful and, and good uh, for helping them score as much as they have been, at least lately, then, yeah, it this is probably uh, something they can get away with, at least in the short term. They may need to look beyond, but they, they maybe needed to look beyond anyway. We were talking about right. this before, <laughs> like the fact that Travis Shaw got hurt, you know, maybe it moves the timeline up for wanting to do something, but it doesn't necessarily change the overall outlook, which was they probably could use an upgrade at third base. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't, you know, he definitely wasn't hitting. He was still providing really good defense at third base. But, you know, if you look at the difference between the offense of Travis Shaw and Pablo Reyes, unfortunately, not a whole lot of difference, at least in the last month. Right. So you're right. They were going to have to address the position anyway. And this may just mean they look at it a little bit sooner or they look a little bit harder than they would have before. Um yeah, probably more the latter, that yeah. they're going to look a little bit harder. I don't know that it'll necessarily be sooner. If an opportunity presents itself, great, but I don't think they're going to be, you know, trying to move heaven and earth to make this happen. Right. And it, it might work out to be something like the Willie Adamas trade, right, where David Stern said he's a guy that I wanted back in, what, December? <laughs> we just were working on a trade up until it finally happened in May. So, you know, maybe there's that third baseman type out there that they've had their eye on they really would like but a deal just hasn't you know the moment hasn't come for a deal to make sense for the other side so i mean that's a possibility too well i mean with the cardinals falling out of it maybe nolan arenado will be available <laughs> there you go <laughs> i say that and that's going to totally come back to bite us in the ass oh no yeah yeah they're gonna <laughs> start start winning some from the brewers yeah, later insert the undertaker yeah. gif here yeah exactly uh Dude, I'm telling you, it's it's tough to see the Cubs stay hot. But man, if if anybody can bury the Cardinals early in the year, it's just always better to bury the Cardinals in the first half, so you don't have to worry about the stupid August September surge that always seems to happen, right? So put a damn stake through their heart. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You got to kill Jason while he's down. So there you mm -hmm. go. Uh, <laughs> all right, we got a few more Patreon questions to get to. Uh, the next few all kind of deal with the same topic. You know, obviously the the sticky sticky stuff situation still a big deal. Um, you know, everybody's got their eyes on all the RPMs, trying to to spot who's who's different here. And Ryan, I know you were sharing with us that was it Sunday Night Baseball they put up a graphic since mm -hmm. like June fifth, how many spin rates have changed and like. To both of us, it seems kind of negligible, right? So, I mean, it is negligible. I don't know where I saw some people prattling on about this on Twitter, and I don't know what I don't know what the hell they're talking about because the difference is at this point. This is from ESPN from the Sunday Night Baseball broadcast. The fastball before and after RPM. So, before would be everything before June fifth, and since is June fifth, so the last week basically, mm -hmm. and you have a decrease of. 30 RPMs out of so it goes from 2268 to 2238. 
So that's what a 2% decrease, 1% decrease, um, very small decrease. The uh, cutter uh, decrease is a whole, what, eight, <laughs> eight revolutions <laughs> per minute. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're not talking about uh, curveball. It's less than 20 slider. It's less than uh, just over 30. I mean, we're not yeah. talking about major differences here. We're really, really not. Right, especially when you consider how many RPMs like just a pitch has, you know, normally, you know. So yeah, it it, it doesn't seem super impressive right now. But again, I'm I'm not an expert on this. I don't pretend to be. So who knows? Maybe that one percent difference is making making. Yeah, a, no, a I mean, but I don't know. Like it, it's, the big differences people talk about are in the hundreds. Right, they're not in right. the yeah, they're in the hundreds. Right. So obviously still a big uh, topic of conversation, and we've got a few questions on it. So the first one comes from Philip Schumacher. He's saying this may belong in the conspiracy corner. Do you think there are pitching coaches at the major league and or minor league level who encourage pitchers to use foreign substances to increase spin rate? In other words, does this go beyond players cheating to organizations cheating? Absolutely. Including, yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming the Brewers, unless they're like stupid and they're not stupid. So I'm pretty much assuming that they have been. The question is how much, how aggressive they're pushing it with guys and how much they're, you know, saying, okay, it's one thing to use Bullfrog, which is the mixture of uh, sunscreen and pine tar or sunscreen and resin, right? Or the yep. rosin yep. from the, yeah. The rosin bag from so the. Not resin, rosin. Um, <laughs> different thing entirely. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of an accepted sort of thing within baseball. Uh, using this this new stuff that everybody's talking about, spider tack, the uh, stuff that weightlifters use. Yeah, the strongman competition stuff. Yeah, where, yeah. Uh, the man. shit that was probably on the ball when it stuck to Yachty's uh, chest yep. protector for all, you know, <laughs> like not to get sued here. But I mean, come on. There was something yeah. pretty strong on that ball to make it stick to his chest protector. Like, remember when you were a little kid and they had those balls that uh, the little like ping pong balls that had uh, um, Velcro on them and you would throw oh, them at yeah. a target. Sure, it looked yeah. like that where this ball is just sitting there hanging off of. You know. <laughs> so, yeah, they're absolutely doing this. Teams all have been encouraging this because, again, it was an unregulated area. Baseball was not regulating it and this didn't come with the stigma of it being illegal illegal like as in law enforcement illegal the way steroids were or it potentially being harmful to your body this isn't you know other than i guess using too much of it and you know doing damage to your skin which i guess some guys were like okay this is kind of a thing that's happening but aside yeah. from that like this isn't like a moral hazard that way this is just there have always been, there has always been cheating in baseball. There's a long history of this. Loading the ball up with stuff, you know, there was this right. history of it up until the 20s when they started really going after the spitball and in the wake of the Ray Chapman death. Like, mm -hmm. there, there was that. There was also another time in the 60s when it had begun to become prevalent again where everybody was loading up the baseball with stuff. They really cracked down then. This is just another crackdown in a series of crackdowns, and... Fine. Great. Perfect. If you think that that's part of why, and I do, I think this is hurting the offensive environment, then yeah, by all means, do it. 
it will be interesting, as Paul pointed out on last week's podcast, to see how many guys are getting hit with baseballs. Um, did you see today uh, um, Mr. Conspiracy Corner himself, um, Pete Alonzo, took a fastball oh, off or took a, a, a fastball off the helmet? Uh, and it did not actually it was one of those where it, it glanced the helmet and got the bill of it and knocked the helmet off, which yeah. took all the, you know, so he was fine. He was absolutely fine. There was no issue. Yeah. But that was that was kind of interesting. And it was like, OK, I uh, <laughs> wonder if he's having second thoughts about maybe I would like these guys to have some sort of grip substance, though. He said we don't care. Players don't actually care about it. They're more yeah. pissed off about the baseballs was yeah. Pete Alonso's complaint. So I don't know right. if you want to go more into that, but <laughs> well, I mean, Pete Alonso is a guy who hit like what 50 home runs with the super bouncy ball and hasn't really produced since then. So I feel like he, he feels like he's going to get screwed out of money. Right. And mm-hmm. everybody is, everybody's like, no dude, we're still judge you based on relative to, to the league performance. It's, it's not just a counting stat thing. Settle down. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, he, he's definitely been vocal at, in in that regard too so Mm -hmm. yeah okay uh second patreon question on this topic from devin bearwolf and ryan you kind of already maybe hinted at this do the brewers have any suspected foreign substance users on their pitching hat staff like a trevor bauer or a garrett cole yeah so this is a little bit tricky we've talked about it somewhat openly paul mentioned last week on the podcast to watch out for brandon woodruff And this is because from the 2019 to 2020 season, he did see about a 200 RPM uptick um, overall in terms of his uh, four-seamer spin rate. So there was this this uptick in his spin rate. And generally, that's a big enough uptick that you would assume it's not some sort of mechanical change or some sort of grip change or whatever. That generally does come from using some sort of substance that you weren't using before. I think where I would caution on this, first off, there was no evidence from his first start. His, no. the, the first start that he had since this all happened, uh, there was no evidence, and I'm trying like crazy to get up his next start to see. All right, so if you look at Woodruff's last few starts, and we're gonna focus just really on the four-seam fastball here because that's generally a good indication of what uh, a guy is as sort of for a baseline spin rate. Um, If you look at his start on uh, May 24th, he was averaging 23.71. If you look at his start on May 30th, it was 24.14. If you look at his start on the uh, 5th of June, it was 23.80. And if you look at his last start, it was 23.03. So a slight downtick there. But if you look back throughout the um, throughout the rest of the season here, you can find other games. 2303 is his lowest of the season, but it's not like a massive outlier. It's within about 50 RPMs of where he's kind of generally been. So, yeah, you can you could kind of keep an eye on this and, and wonder about it. But I wouldn't get particularly worked up about Woodruff having like a major downturn. And you'll note he still pitched pretty well on Friday night. There wasn't really a an issue with Woodruff's performance. So, mm-hmm. it, but he has been one that has been focused on. We know that Corbin Burns was a guy that uh, the 
uh, the Brewers really valued him out of college in 2016 because of his spin rate. They were very focused on that and drafted him because of that spin rate. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he was doing something all along is sort of the the question <laughs> or because there, there doesn't seem to be a major uptick in it. And Freddie, people have kind of been, well, you know, whatever. Freddie's so wild. It's hard to really know anyway. But yeah, I I think that if you were going to focus on someone potentially as a guy to watch on this, it's Woodruff. But I don't think there's much evidence, at least so far, to indicate that no. there's anything real worrisome here. No. And I mean, with the pitching lab and everything, we do know the Brewers have put a priority on trying to develop this as much as they can, too. You know, so like you said, there are mechanical things you can do. It's not just a strict a sign of cheating thing that, I mean, it, you can train for this and, and progressively get better at it. Um, there so are limits it, to how much you can train for it and what you can do with a grip, yeah. but there are things you can do and there are tink, right. there's ways to tinker with it. And again, if Brandon Woodruff is seeing a, a, a decrease of in this, if, if he sees a downtick, it probably accompanies a number of other pitchers in baseball that will also see downticks. So, I don't know how much it changes him compared to the league average. Probably not all that much. Mm-hmm. I think that the the idea out there was the guys getting major substantial advantages from this. Um, it's not necessarily a large group, but the guys doing it is not a a, a small group. The, the people that yeah. are using this in some sort of a way, and this might also be I hate to compare it to steroids because they're not the same thing on basically any right. level. And I hated the way Sports Illustrated framed that where it was like you basically calling it the new steroids, which that's ridiculous. But <laughs> you could kind of look at it this way. There were a lot of guys using a lot of steroids going back a lot before, say, Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire were perfecting the craft, I guess, in the late 80s mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that there weren't guys doing it before. We have you know Tom House talking about guys using steroids back in the '60s, and people using all kinds of crap, just you know, throwing whatever. The thing was, they just didn't really have a, a very good understanding of what they were supposed to do with it and how to right. best take advantage of it. It was kind of, if anything, what what Jose Canseco brought to baseball and steroids was a scientific approach, and. That advantage that was gained was, you know, as much from like studying Education. how, yeah, right, becoming <laughs> becoming smarter users of things that were fairly commonly out there, and then they're the ones that got the huge results as a, yeah, you know, as a, as a end result of that. So, I guess you basically, we'll have to see how it plays out, but I'm, I wouldn't think we're going to see massive. Uh, changes with brewers but who knows no i mean you're right if it's as widespread as reported i mean everybody's going to be affected just about the same and you know not to make the comparison to steroids again but i do think you know where everybody tends to focus on the big name guys just like they did with the steroid stuff too but the guys who might be getting the biggest benefits out of their careers are you know like the middle reliever types that nobody's gonna think twice about or whatever you know like Mm -hmm. those guys who would really be well served to 
increase their spin rate and become an effective middle reliever. I mean, that's the difference between AAA and the majors for a lot of guys. And I think that's probably where you see most of that too. I would worry less about the Brendan Woodruffs and the Corbin Burnses and more about, you know, not to throw names out, but, you know, like the middle relief types that get shuttled in and out and, and are trying to get noticed by the organization. I feel like those are the guys that would uh, try to, you know, roll the dice on that too. Right. Because the difference for them might be between usable and unusable. Whereas the difference on somebody like Brandon Woodruff, if this were an issue, it might be the difference between being great and being very good. Exactly. Exactly. Which, you know, again, not to link to the steroids, but that was the case with a lot of the guys who were using those too. So, uh, there you have it. I guess that leads us to the big question. And Adam Post sends this one in. What's your ideal solution to the foreign substance issue? If you have one, do you even do you think this is something that they need to do something about? Yes, I do. And I actually I think it's a fairly straightforward. You devise something that is universal, that is right out in the open, that guys are allowed to use to be able to get grip on the baseball. You put it on the mound. It's right there. It's available for anybody to use. If you get caught with something else, whether it's because it's on your body or because it's uh, it's detected on the ball afterward, and there's enough evidence where it's it's not just something that showed up in a spec on one baseball, but it, it was consistently showing up over multiple starts or you know multiple appearances from the same pitcher, then you come down with a, a hammer on them. And that gives you, you know, so you still get guys able to keep a grip on the baseball. And I assume, I I would almost guarantee you, MLB has people working on this right now, trying to figure out what actually like the best, the ideal substance is for this. They're chemists. They've probably hired people to work on it behind the scenes as we speak. You just, you, so you, you legalize some form of sticky stuff and then, if it's not that, you bring the hammer down on them because you then really don't have any excuse. And if they're not working on developing it, they'll probably just steal it from some lab in Florida because they're good at that too. So, yep. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We'll keep an eye on that situation as it evolves too. And, you know, of course, everybody's going to be keeping their eyes on the RPMs and becoming pseudoscience masters at this, but we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Kind of shifting gears, we mentioned this at the top, but our next Patreon question from James Vandenberg deals with Aaron Ashby, who is becoming uh, quite the popular prospect, I guess, at least in the Brewers Twitter sphere. You know, we saw what he was doing in spring training, caught a lot of eyes there. Uh, you, you know, a, a lot of people in the organization have a lot of good things to say about him, especially with the way he started the year. So uh, James's question is, with the news that he's moving to the pen in AAA, what should our expectations for Aaron Ashby be? Is it a 2018 Corbin-like impact, which would be awesome, but is that realistic? So this was a discussion that was had by uh, myself and James Anderson on this month's minor league extra we actually went quite deep into this and we were talking about well could we see some sort of a change here in what the uh the team usage of ashby might be i think there were already rumors percolating at that point that this might be coming 
And since they did this, he's made two appearances, uh, 2.0 innings each time. So two innings each time. And he hasn't been super successful. He actually had been on quite a run where he had not been really walking guys. That had been really a problem for him early in the season where uh, in his last start on June 4th, he went seven innings and only walked one while striking out 11. That was huge for him. Mm. In the previous start, uh, five and two thirds, nine strikeouts, one walk. The previous start, six strikeouts, two walks, over five innings. He had been doing better on that front. Since being moved to the bullpen, it's been a little bit shaky, and I wonder if this is maybe... You don't want to go too far into these explanations without knowing, but maybe he's seeing, oh, if I do really well at this, uh, I could be in the major leagues like in a week. I could be be called up really soon. There's an opportunity here for me. And hell, it's probably what the team told him is, look, we're moving you to the bullpen because we want you to get acclimated to doing that because we think that's where we're going to have you break into the majors this year. Mm-hmm. And since he's done that, both of these outings, he walked two in his first and two in his second. And it so not great. Like he, he went back to really having walk issues, basically. At that point, and he's given up runs. Uh, he's given up five run runs and in four innings since moving to the pen. Now, it's way too early to draw any sort teeny of tiny sample sizes. It yeah. is teeny <laughs> tiny sample sizes, and it might be there might be some mental thing going on here where he's over trying, he's pushing too hard, or he may have just had a bad day. Who knows? You know, it's been doggedly hot all over the place. Yeah. And so who knows? Maybe he's just having trouble adjusting. Whatever. But I do think it's worth keeping an eye on with him uh, what's going on, because they clearly see him as being on the verge of potentially coming up there. They made this move uh, had had to be with an eye towards potentially bringing him up to the major leagues. Now, will they actually follow through on that? I don't know. This could also be part of a plan to just limit his innings. Right. Right, because overall he's already at 31 innings. I don't know how far they want to push that this year, but remember the minor league season does not stop at the beginning of September this year. It stops at the end of September because it got to a late start. So we're only a month into the the minor league season at this point, really, for all practical purposes. So there's still a ways to go there, and maybe they do want to try to you know throttle down his innings somewhat. But this does seem to be a precursor to him coming up and we probably were going to get to see him. And the the number one thing to watch for with Ashby is the walks. Just keep an eye on that. See what he is doing in terms of walking batters, because that's going to tell you where he is and what's likely to come in the future. Yeah. I mean, so James Vandenberg here made the, the Corbin Burns in 2018 comparison where obviously he was great in the bullpen too, but you know, you, you say the walks are the issue. And for me, that kind of reminds me a little bit of when Josh Hader first started in the bullpen too, you know, obviously great results, but also the walks were the issue there too. And obviously those are two really big names and incredibly lofty expectations, but I guess if uh, Ashby does make it to the bullpen in the majors, whether it's July or September, how do you see him being used and fitting in? Yeah, I think you are going to look at him as a multi-inning weapon who will pitch, you know, two to three times a week with multiple days rest in between generally. I think you'll see the the way Hader was broken in, the way that Burns was used initially. 
the way we've seen, like Drew Pomerantz was used this way when he was with the Brewers. I think mm-hmm. you'll see them try to use him in that weapon role where you're, and I guess to an extent, the way Brent Suter gets used, though he, Brent Suter is a, a totally different animal. It's it's not, yep. you know, but I, I think that might be sort of the the plan for him. And I would, I think that's great. I, they need that. They they don't have that in their current bullpen. They're sort of missing it. I think they were expecting that Drew Rasmussen might well be that guy for them this year. Yep. And then they needed to trade him to get uh, Willie Adamas, which great. That was a smart trade. Good on them. You do that 10 times out of 10. No quarrels with it. But it does leave you a little bit lighter in the in the bullpen as a result, obviously. Right. Right. And they did, you know, add another piece in this last week. We've got a question that we'll get to in in that regard, too. But I guess staying with pitching for now, uh, Jamie Wonders has a Patreon question. Uh, Looking at the rotation, uh, Jamie's asking, how long does Brett Anderson last in the rotation? Currently has a 559 FIP and a 145 DRA minus on the year, which if you don't know DRA minus, that's not good. You want under 100 for that and not well over 100. Uh, so Jamie's saying that seems untenable even for a fifth starter. So, you know, we talked about the six man rotation and just kind of needing to soak up innings. Is that kind of buying Brett Anderson some time here? Or do you see them kind of tinkering with the bottom of the rotation if if this keeps up? No, I think they're fine with Brett Anderson doing that. I think that there is a a pretty substantial history looking at Brett Anderson's history in terms of what his ERA is versus what his FIP is. And I know that Jonathan judge corrected on the, the us on this a long time ago with when we were still Steve, me and Jim, uh, he pointed out to us that, you know, FIP and DRA and all those, you, you're actually against runs allowed, not earned runs allowed. So mm. you, you have to scale it a little bit differently. But he's been a guy who hasn't generally been a great fit pitcher. He's sort of overproduced his FIP because what he does is so ground ball dependent and FIP doesn't really take that into account. Now, DRA does. And so that's it is more concerning on that front. And we're certainly seeing I think I would be more concerned this year with the uptick in walks. He's at 3.2 walks to 4.8 strikeouts. Last year, it was actually 6.1 to 1.9. So it was a three to one ratio, which even though that top line six walk or six strikeouts per inning isn't going to get anybody's uh, blood flowing. But, <laughs> you know, a three to one strikeout to walk ratio is is very healthy. And that's it, it's generally quite workable. And this year it's a 1.5, which is much less encouraging. And so but I think that the main thing here is, as you pointed out, with them going to a six-man rotation, I don't see Brett Anderson going anywhere in the the near future. I think they're perfectly okay with him. They know kind of what he is. They know what the downside of him is. And they, I think, just like having him as somebody that can give them some innings and give them some some certainty on that front. Uh, even though it's, you know, he's not, wouldn't say he's an inning eater. No. But he is weirdly turned into a guy who just makes his starts <laughs> and <laughs> right. And as he's long predictable, as, right? Yeah. Right. So, as long as you that's know you're going to get five or six with three runs allowed. That's, you know, if that's what you're expecting, hard to be disappointed with it. Right. So he will yeah. generally keep you in the game. 
He's he's yeah. been pretty good at keeping teams his team in the game. And they know his limitations, he knows his limitations, and as long as they're sort of able to work within that framework, I don't think there's going to be any rush to move on from him. Yeah. I there's only one really bad start of his that sticks out in my mind. It's that that's the one at Chicago where he gave up what the three home runs in the one inning. It was just a really like the first blow up start that he had. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to get those blips maybe once a month or so, but otherwise, you know, he's, he's generally dependable. And in a year where you're just trying to make it through 162 games, dependable availability is always a good asset to have. Right. So there you go. Well, so. and honestly, a guy like him who does have the occasional blow up, uh, but he's generally pretty good. If you have a guy that will give you five innings and, two runs most nights but when he doesn't he gives you three innings and eight runs <laughs> as a fifth starter that's actually pretty decent and that you can really work with that because most of the time he's keeping you in the game and that one game you're gonna lose well yeah you're gonna you're gonna lose that game but hey remember it's baseball and you play 162 and everybody loses like at least about 60 so if that's your loss that you're taking from him, but he gives you two, three good starts for every bad start that he puts out there, you take it. It it really does end up working out just fine for you. Right. All right. We talked a little bit at the top of the show about how the offense is starting to heat up. <laughs> Leads us to our uh, second, uh, I guess, t- two questions from Jay Google. The first one. Uh, dealing with the offense, he says this one's for James. Now that the Brewers are hitting, is Andy Haynes off the hot seat? I would say yes. Uh, I don't think he was ever really on it, really, if you ask Brewers management. But obviously, uh, you know, <laughs> home runs start flying and suddenly the hitting coach looks a lot better. So I, I oddly have not heard a whole lot of critiquing about Andy Haynes' hitting coach strategies in the last couple of weeks, Ryan, have you? <laughs> Nope. And I'm very happy. (laughs) Right. I mean, yeah, it's it's a long year, like we were saying, with all these Andy Haynes conversations, right? Like there's peaks and valleys early in the year. There were valleys and deeper valleys, but uh, we're we're kind of working our way out of that. And, you know, yeah, obviously the Brewers still aren't ranking as juggernauts offensively, but they're doing a lot more. They were able to bail out Corbin Burns on Saturday, which is something that they hadn't been able to do in any of his starts previously, right? So things are starting to turn around. I think justifiably the heat's off of Handy Haynes a little bit. Um, And, you know, he's he's outlived his predecessor. Darnell Coles got fired in Arizona this week. So uh, there's... There's that too. And, you know, that's life as a hitting coach. You'd get hired to be fired, as as mm-hmm. Paul always likes to say. So, yep. yeah, I, I do think he's off the hot seat for a while now. Uh, so, Jay has a second question. This one uh, about the pitching and kind of re- what I was referencing to before thoughts on Hunter Strickland, who the Brewers claimed on waivers earlier this week. Jay says, probably just a flyer for the time being until maybe Topa or some young arms get called up. Uh, what are your thoughts on Hunter Strickland? Is he just kind of more middle relief fodder, or is there a chance that this is another waiver claim that maybe works out better than any of us expect? Yeah, it's probably not going to be anything too particularly <laughs> exciting. Um, the fact of the matter was he was on the raise this year, and they moved on from him. 
and then he ended up on the Angels, and he blew up on the yeah, Angels. He was not good with the Angels, but he's a guy who's got some big league experience. I feel he's like also he's got some, some big league baggage. Yeah. Remember he? Who is he in the Beanball Wars with? On oh, L- oh, it was yeah, a Puig. He, him, yep. and Puig did not uh, uh, it coexist nicely together. So yeah. Bit of a hothead, yes. Yeah, Hunter Strickland. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, I mean, you roll through guys like this and give them a shot and see if they can bring you something. And maybe they do. Maybe it, it becomes worthwhile. I would never expect to see him in a super high leverage role. I no. could see him sort of. If the best case scenario, if everything sort of works out right, maybe he becomes like Brad Boxberger, a guy that. Might be used for an emergency save now and then, but mostly is going to be used to get you out in the sixth and seventh innings when you're leading. Yep. Like and that's again, sort of the yeah. ceiling here. Yeah. And again, they, they need random guys like this to help fill out those middle innings. You know, Brent Suter can't pitch two innings every other day kind of thing mm-hmm. to get, fill out those fifth or sixth innings. So. Right. And the floor here is what he did in L.A., which was a 9.95 ERA and, you know, just a quick exit uh, to the door. Right. Right. So, you know, obviously, you know, David Stearns met Arnold have shown if it's not working, they will just cut a guy loose especially you know relief arms they have no qualms about just finding the next guy who throws really hard and try to catch lightning in a bottle there so yeah to answer jay's question yeah probably a flyer but who knows (laughs) they always seem to make something out of these nothing pitchers so Mm -hmm. if that works then great all right. We also have a Twitter question this week. A reminder, in addition to the Patreon, you can ask us a question on Twitter. That's at MKE Tailgate on Twitter. We put out that call every single week. This question comes from Joe Simons. And I know, Ryan, you have some thoughts on this. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's talking Jackie Bradley Jr., still really struggling at the plate. Uh, Joe's tweet is JBJ really, 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 really stinks when swinging a bat. I know that's not a question, but man, for the fourth highest paid brewer, he's not really living up to that. Uh, if he got 20 straight hits this season, he still wouldn't be hitting 250, which, Ryan, I know you have some thoughts on that. But uh, do you want to go deeper into JBJ and, and the offensive struggles and whether he's still kind of providing some value here? Well, first off, he is providing value because he's a hell of a defender. And we know that he, offensively, he is a slow starter historically. And so, like, if you're looking at what he's done lately, he's still not really heated up. Like, they're I'm not going to try to give you, like, the case that he has heated up with the bat because the, the calendar turned to June or something. The rest of the team seems to have heated up, and he has not. That being said, there's a couple things here. First off, batting average, terrible way to evaluate somebody, especially like Jackie Bradley <laughs> Jr., um, especially in this day and age. Like, we're not the batting the league batting average is really low like if we're trying to talk about a 250 batting average being some sort of a benchmark or something like i don't even know what the the purpose of that would be but the real issue that i have here more than anything is the well for the fourth highest paid brewer and that is a terrible way to assess players so i'm going to get up on my soapbox here for a minute uh because the reason he's the fourth highest paid brewer is not because they think he's the fourth best player 
right? That is not that is not how this works. That is not why that works. The Brewers' payroll is not that big, so saying fourth highest paid is is not a huge statement to begin with, right? <laughs> the reason he's the fourth highest paid Brewer is because Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Josh Hader, um, trying to think of other guys, uh, Adrian Hauser. A lot yeah. of these guys would be making a lot more were it not for the fact that they aren't to their six years of major league service time yet. And so their their salary is being artificially depressed. Now, granted, in Freddie Peralta's case, he did sign a contract. He, he signed an extension, but that doesn't even really matter because that whole contract is structured based around the fact that his his salary upside was limited because of just the way for your first three years, you basically make the league minimum. After that, you're subject to arbitration, which is to be kind, capricious in in terms of how it pays people. So really, you're looking at Jackie Bradley Jr. should not be the fourth highest paid player on this team. He just is because of the way baseball salary structure works. OK, so that that part of it isn't really a way to, to look at this. The Brewers got Jackie Bradley Jr. knowing that he does go through these slumps offensively and that he's going to give you um, these time periods where he's really hard to watch offensively. They knew that. Everybody knows that. It's part of his history. Yeah, he's a career 234 hitter. So, right. you know, it's, he's, he's never hit really well. But despite that, he's been able to put up two, three war seasons despite that, because his defense is so good, right? So Exactly. He he is a tremendous, tremendous defender uh, who, I don't know if he's won gold gloves. Maybe he had a season where he hit well enough to win a gold glove. <laughs> but, like, that's... It's not a good measure of, of who the player is. And the Brewers got into this knowing exactly what the deal is. And this, just because he doesn't hit, doesn't mean that they're not deriving some value here, especially given the injuries that they've dealt with, with Lorenzo Cain being hurt uh, quite a bit, Christian Yelich missing a month. Now Tyrone Taylor is on the bench. Really the only outfielder who has been healthy and good. Hell, the only player on this offense as a whole <laughs> who has been healthy and good all year is Avisil Garcia. Yeah. Yeah. Like that he's it. He is the guy. So putting this and even he hasn't hit the 250 benchmark. So there you no, go. No, <laughs> exactly. So we, we need to reset our, our mindset on that and also just understand that like the fact that he's being paid, that's a product of baseball's Fakakta uh, economic system more than it is anything else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say I we're defending JBJ a lot here. That's not to say we think he's been good this year. He has been bad. He has been below replacement level by WAR so far. Yes, he he's, has. He, he's 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 not having a good year. We want to be super clear about that. We're just saying this is kind of to be expected. And if we're in this situation a month from now, then maybe, yeah, the Brewers are looking for another fourth outfielder to slide in there. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's, he's still viable defensively. We, you know, he, it's just the, the bat has been really bad. Uh, yeah. And I mean, the thing is we say this because he struggles uh, offensively and it goes through these runs, especially early in seasons. Yep. He really gets off to slow starts. Okay. Yep. We know that. 
But actually, when you look at his offense over the previous six years, so from 2015 to 2020 when he was with Boston, uh, his OPS pluses by year, 119, 118, 89, 92, 90, 118. That's actually not that huge a spread. Like that isn't wild swings back and forth. He kind of went into this doldrum from 2017 to 2019 where he was quote unquote bad. But even during that time period, you're talking about a guy who was basically 10% worse than league average offensively for entire seasons, which given his defense being played at center field still makes him like an average to above average player. Mm -hmm. 10% worse than league average offensively is not that bad for a guy that gives you that defense in center field. Like it, it, this all is dependent on context too. So yes, he's doing really poorly this year, but the history of Jackie Bradley jr. Has generally been that he also does then find times when he gets crazy hot. And when for you know months at a time offensively, he will put up massive, massive runs where he, if not carrying an offense, he becomes a vital cog in, well, a lot of really great Red Sox teams in that time period. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, no question he's struggled. He's only got a 203 BABIP right now, though. And, you know, how many times have we kind of commented, whether it's on Twitter or or whatever, he, he's hit the ball hard for outs oh he hit a couple hard liners on saturday yep yeah it was just like he's really not getting and it's not that he's been good like you said it's just that he hasn't been as terrible as those numbers would lead you to to think and there's there's almost certainly going to be a pretty major turnaround here and the last thing you want to do as a brewer fan is to let Jackie Bradley Jr. go and to let him have that resurgence with someone else. So then all you got was like the, the bad and you didn't something. you yeah, didn't exactly. get the good, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that's the very worst thing that can happen to you. It it would be uh yeah, the 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 Brad Miller situation all over again. Oh. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. The Brad Miller situation. You get the one Brad Miller bad year. The one exactly. bad Brad Miller year. And so in Milwaukee everybody thinks he's terrible. Everybody else is like this guy's secretly really good. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh. <laughs> all right. So that's all we have for questions this week. A reminder, uh you can go over to patreon.com/mketailgate, sign up to become a patron, 2 bucks a month, gets your question asked here every single week, no matter how silly. Uh, doesn't even have to be baseball related. I know we've done uh, the Transcontinental Railroad before because it was a Patreon question. So there you go. Uh, sign up two bucks a month for that. Five bucks a month. You also get that monthly minor league extra podcast. Lots of good stuff there that you heard Ryan mention, especially this month talking about Aaron Ashby. So if you like that portion of our, our show this week and you want to hear more about it, five bucks a month gets you that minor league extra podcast. So go check it out. Yeah. And this month we really focused on, I, I just have to say a lot of guys having breakouts. There are yeah. breakouts up and down this minor league system right now. Guys that are getting a lot of talk. Joe Gray has been the, the talk of Brewers Twitter. Corey Howell, I think is, is getting some attention now too on that front. But we also talked about some guys you maybe haven't been hearing so much about that. We particularly, you sort of singled out and James uh, James Anderson targeted for us and said, hey, this guy is a little bit under the radar, but he might really be something. So I would say if this is one of the the more, I guess, purely happy <laughs> minor league <laughs> extras we've ever done, that was our 40th this time. And uh, 
yeah, there was there was a lot of good stuff to talk about because there seems to be quite a few positive things happening in the Brewers farm system. And that is without us getting anything yet from our young Venezuelan guys that have not started no to play yet. yet. Yeah. Yeah. No Hedbert, no Eduardo Garcia. Yeah. We haven't seen anything from those guys yet. So fingers crossed come summertime, we're going to see some some big numbers from them as well. But it is it is really positive. There's a lot happening up and down the Brewers farm system. There you go. So if you want to find out who those guys are, pay that five bucks, get that podcast and and listen in every month. Uh, It's definitely uh, worth it. And, you know, for someone like me who doesn't necessarily have the time to follow the minor leagues day by day, like some other people do. Uh, more power to you guys who do. Uh, I used to love that back in the day. I just got old and busy. And so these minor league extra podcasts are, are a great way to kind of get caught up on that and just make sure you know who the names are that are going to be the ones to know. So uh, check that out if you uh, can. In the meantime, that'll wrap things up for this week's show. Please do not forget to subscribe to the podcast, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else. Hit the subscribe button, and while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find us. Uh, in the meantime, we'll be back next week, Ryan and I. Uh, stay well, stay cool, everybody. <laughs> and hopefully the Brewers keep winning. We'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.